Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 62. The Screwtape Letters, Letter Number 31, Blaze of Glory. Welcome, friends. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we're eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. Well, here we are. The final letter. The final letter. Woo! It's exciting. It is. It's it's a very strange experience when we start a new book. We think, oh my goodness, it's going to be so long before we get to the end of this. But we're always there before we know it. It flies by so quickly. And I find it not coincidental. And I hope this is the case for all listeners as well. That it's funny how whatever book you're going through, there seems to be some underlying theme that also God is working on in my life outside of the book. And the book tends to be that reinforcing constant stream, voice, positive thing in your head throughout it. Because I'm getting to the end of this season here, This we are, and the whole, like, remember how false self, true self was till we have faces? Mm-hmm. Well, this one, it's been habits. And that last retreat I went to, spiritual retreat, it was all about creating a rule of life. And then I started reading Atomic Habits. And then I interviewed Father Mark Mary, which will be coming out after this, David? Uh, Probably around the same time. And that was the Habits for Holiness. So between a rule of life on a completely external retreat, by the way, nothing related to this, to Father Mark Mary, to this, I mean, it's this whole thing is about, all right, Matt, now it's time... Your, your false self, I destroyed over the last two years. Now it's time to develop habits of obedience. And the Screwtape Letters has been that book to encourage it. What it means is that when you're rich and famous and somebody is writing your biography, they're basically going to be able to structure it by the seasons of Pints for Jack. <laughs> so wait, wait. And we have the four loves coming up next. So I'm hopeful for you, man. I'm hopeful. <laughs> We're, we're going to find Matt a wife next season. This is my real goal. <laughs> or to develop better, uh, be a better friend and actually do more work for David on the podcast. That could be what's also being trying to communicate through this book. Hmm. What do I think is less likely? Matt doing some work <laughs> or Matt finding someone to marry him? Uh, doing I'll some give work. you an answer at the end of this episode. I need to think about that one a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But before we get into today's episode, I want to share a few different quotations that I came across this week. The first one, do you remember back in letter 15? That was the Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow episode. We spoke about the past, the present, and the future, and the importance of the present, because it's the only place where we can actually act. Well, my parish's bulletin recently included this quotation, and it made me think of that episode. It comes from St. Gregory the Theologian. He's also known as St. Gregory of Nazianzus, Nazianzen. Either way, he's a 4th century early church father. And he wrote, don't give your present to the devil and your future to God. And you think about it, that's often what we do. We, we, we're going to, oh, well, I'll just deal with this sin right now. I'll just enjoy that and I'll repent tomorrow. I'll go to confession tomorrow. I'll sort things out tomorrow. I'll start a better habit tomorrow. For a second, I had to think about that because I go, 
well, you kind of do want to give the future to God. Then I realized what he was saying is don't give the present to the devil and then only give the future to God. I kind of want to give God my present and my future. <laughs> well, if you give him your presence, it will become your future. That's true too. And the next quotation I wanted to share, it relates to the subject of fortitude, which was the subject of letter 29. That was the fearless episode. Also known as the Taylor Swift episode, but you know, just saying. <laughs> Nobody's calling it that, Matt. Stop trying to make it happen. Uh, <laughs> I had posted on Facebook that episode's quote of the week, where Screwtape says that courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. And former guest of the show, Dr. Jason Lapoyavi, he commented that he thinks it's a mistake to take this as an argument that in Lewis's hierarchy of virtues, courage is number one. Uh, apparently, various authors have actually argued this. And so I agreed with him and said that in a similar way that prudence is necessary to allow virtues to remain in balance, courage allows them to actually remain at all when the pressure's turned up. And a little later in the day, he replied saying that he'd just come across a quotation from Field Marshal Bill Slim, and it echoed this point, and it sounded very Lewisian. This is what uh, Field Marshal Bill Slim said in a broadcast in 1957. Courage is not simply a virtue, it is the virtue. Without it, there are no other virtues. Faith, hope and charity and all the rest don't become virtues until it takes courage to exercise them. Courage is not only the basis of all virtue, it is its expression. True, you can be bad and brave, but without being brave, you cannot be good. Isn't that great? I like it. It's very succinct and direct, so I don't really have a lot to say. It's also very Lewisian. If, if someone had read that to me, I would have said, oh, that's probably Lewis in one of his letters. Are we sure it isn't Lewis? <laughs> At least that first part? Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not fully convinced if I... If I Googled that first sentence up until there are no other virtues, I have a feeling it would be a, a reference like mere Christianity. <laughs> well, if you Google it, you will find a web page. And we know web pages are not the best at accurately attributing quotations. It's all Fair point. So the final quotation I wanted to share comes from a recent episode of Clumsy Theosis. It was the uh, podcast whose host, Rochelle, she was guest co-host last week. And as I mentioned in that episode, Rochelle is currently doing a series on spiritual warfare. And I thought this quotation from St. John Chrysostom, who was a contemporary of St. Gregory, uh, was a very appropriate quotation uh, as we, we now wrap up the Screwtape letters. St. John says, the devil never proposes to us sins in their proper colors. That could have been taken out of this chapter. Right, right. <laughs> or yeah. really throughout the whole book, because... What Screwtape wants the patient to do, it, it's never offered in those terms. There's always some cloak over the top of it to, to hide what it really is. He's not going to say, hey, go and be idolatrous. He's going to offer a much smoother path to that. This whole letter, listeners, it's a, it's a phenomenal letter. I can't wait for us to dive into it. But it is so much about the veil being torn off the patient's eyes, which is exactly this and a, and a broader stroke of how Everything the devil does is trying to disguise and never share exactly what you're doing. It's not like he says, here, have these six drinks so you can become a drunkard and your life can go to hell. He's like, have this little sip that will bring a great amount of happiness and joy in this moment and lead to beautiful friendships with those that you're with. It's just always disguised in a certain way and never in the, what's really coming. He has to present it as something good because it's the only thing that we're typically attracted to. And it works sometimes, David. 
<laughs> anyway, on to the song of the week. In today's letter, the patient enters heaven. So the question is, what song is most fitting for that? Stairway to Heaven. Well, <laughs> that was a good one. I like it. Yeah. That could have done it. Well, listener John Marr had only one recommendation, the aria Un bel di vedremo, which is One Fine Day We Will See, which is from Puccini's Madame Butterfly. And he says that whenever he reads this last letter, he always hears this in his head and it makes him tear up. And I was really tempted to let him win this one. But as we heard last week, John is insistent upon the distinction between a song and an aria. So the song of the week is Blaze of Glory by Bon Jovi. See, John, I'm glad you now can experience. This is what I deal with working with David constantly. You come up with great ideas. And even if they're almost as good as his, he'll always select his. And so did you hear me on that last episode, by the way? I oh, can't remember. I did. <laughs> have you actually chosen one of John's? I, I have. Know. Yes, I have. Okay. Okay. You have chosen one. Okay. I was laughing with Andrew. I'm like, good thing David's not here to defend himself. I was very tempted to record a response and have Taylor <laughs> insert it. But I thought, no, that's petty. I'm bigger than that. Actually, that would have been hilarious. I should have. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, once again, Unbeldi is gorgeous. And you should listen to it. And it probably should be the song of the week. But what are you going to do? What's the quote of the week, Matt? Yes. Did you add yours back, David? <laughs> uh, I found this quotation in another part of the document. So I oh. wondered if it had been dragged and dropped. Yes, I really like this one. I think it sums up beautifully. I also related to it, but I think it sums up this chapter quite well. But I also related to it in my own journey, as I'd mentioned to you guys, when you heard of my Easter experience of just kind of almost like feeling like the veil was lifted off my eyes and you were going through dark, 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 dying, dying, and all of a sudden, boom, you see backwards. So here it is from letter 31. Yes, of course, it was always like this. All horrors have followed the same course, getting worse and worse and forcing you into a kind of bottleneck till at the very moment when you thought you must be crushed, behold, you were out of the narrows and all was suddenly well. The extraction hurt more and more, and then the tooth was out. The dream became a nightmare, and then you woke. You die and die, and then you are beyond death. How could I have ever doubted it? I'd imagine many of us can relate to that, where we've been dying and dying and dying, which we don't know in the moment is Jesus cleansing us, purging us, drawing us closer to him. I would put it in the context of that false self, dying to the ego in your will. And you go to the point where you can almost not handle anymore. It almost feels like the breaking point. And then boom, and you look back and you're like, whoa, what just happened? Well, earlier today, I recorded an episode on the Risking Enchantment podcast where we spend an hour and a half talking about the great divorce. And doesn't what you just said sound like the great divorce when we hear that hell and heaven are retrospective? When you look back, they'll say we were always in hell or we were always in heaven. A lot of this actual letter is going to sound like the great divorce. I referenced it a little bit later too, when the demons can't stand the light. You know, that's going <laughs> to sound also very reminiscent of it. So, But it makes sense. It was his best work. <laughs> well, what's the drink of the week? Yes, the drink of the week. So since this is the last letter, but it's not the end of the season, I decided to go with McAllen 12. And I followed suit and chose my favorite, which is naturally Lagavulin. I'm, I'm going to do the 18 when it's you, Andrew, and I. Are we doing a retrospective together? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do the 18. <laughs> but I'll smell this. I have no tasting notes, but by this point, I should be able to describe McCallum 12. 
Oh, you can just smell that maltiness. Mm, yep, dirt. Ocean breeze. Use band-aids. A little, <laughs> a little spicy. I, that Cinnabon. Oh, it's bunny. Rusty nails. <laughs> I still love ocean breeze and um, ice of a Cinnabon. <laughs> the frosted <laughs> icing of a Cinnabon. I just don't get that one. All right, we got to taste it now. Oh, see, when you don't drink Macallan 18, Macallan 12 is delicious. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling my stubble growing. I think my chest hair has grown at least half an inch. I think I've gotten one more hair on my beard, so I have now eight total. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I know, right? I'm, I'm becoming a man quickly. Well, how about a manly toast? Yes. Paige, you're going to have a fun toast for this one. And so, Paige, as we will see in this letter, sometimes as times get darker and darker and darker, we don't realize that the night is darkest just before the dawn. And so we pray wherever you are in your journey, if there's darkness, you know that the light is just around the corner. Cheers. Cheers. I love it, David. You've got like a 50-word chapter summary. <laughs> yes. Uh, I give myself 100 words for this, but I just didn't think it was necessary for this letter. So oh. letter 31, which was first published in The Guardian on the 28th of November, 1941. The patient has died in an air raid. He is now out of Screwtape's reach. He was greeted by angels and now looks upon the face of God. Wormwood has failed. Screwtape has invited his nephew over for dinner. Mm, I'll have another drink to that. Wormwood has <laughs> failed. And he is not happy, as we're about to see. Well, Screwtape's not happy. No. Well, he is and he isn't. Yeah, that is interesting. That is a good way. He, he's got a little of both. Yeah. So normally Screwtape begins his letters, my dear Wormwood, but today's is far creepier. My dear, my very dear Wormwood, my puppet, my pig's knee. And these are some terms which might not be familiar to most people. They're both terms of endearment. Uh, puppet is a variant of puppet, implying that the person is like a little, little doll. And pig's knee possibly comes from Chaucer and maybe a variation of pigger which means young maid in Anglo-Saxon. So he's showering him with terms of endearment. But Scutate then reveals that Wormwood has lost the patient's soul. Whimpering, Wormwood has apparently asked Scutate whether his uncle's affection with regards to him meant nothing. And Scutate offers a form of reassurance. Rest assured, my love for you and your love for me are as like two peas. I have always desired you as you, pitiful fool, desired me. The difference is that I am stronger. I think they will give you to me now, or a bit of you. Love you? Why, yes. As dainty a morsel as ever I grew fat on. Needless to say, this is going to be an awkward family dinner. <laughs> I picture right now, because of that movie that I don't remember the name, of Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter. Right, I, I picture him. Silence like, of the Lambs. Silence of the Lamb. Saying Worm was saying, "My dear, my very dear." I picture him like tucking in a napkin into his chest <laughs> as he's getting ready to eat Wormwood with a bottle of candy and some fava beans. And some fava beans. <laughs> <laughs> but no, getting to this point, I mean, what a sad reality, though of the fact that look at how distorted this love is. I think of the devouring love of Orwall and 
and then compare that, or actually contrast that directly to the love of our Father. Like, I hope God never sees, says to me that our loves are, are frankly the same. We're alike. The like, consuming yes, and the devouring be, are the same. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm just even saying, I don't even want to, I hope that my Heavenly Father's love being infinite is just beyond whatever I could ever do. Like, the thought of knowing that I could even be considered the same as something I serve, to me, just doesn't sound like something I'd want to serve, to be honest. Screwtape then explains what happened to Wormwood's patient. At the moment of death, he actually sees Wormwood. There was a sudden clearing of his eyes, was there not? As he saw you for the first time and recognized the part you had in him and knew that you had it no longer. Screwtape compares the the patient's transition to being a, a, a scab or dead skin falling off or the throwing off of a wet, dirty garment. And Screwtape says that it's bad enough to see humans enjoying a lovely hot bath, but it doesn't even compare to this complete cleansing he now undergoes. First, I thought that was such a beautiful image, an image of hope. I always love to point out the, the things that bring me hope personally. And just to know that there's this moment where you can look back and you can just so see the role that Satan played in your life. I almost feel like that gives you hope of who you are, just knowing the battle you had to fight, that it really was a battle. Because a lot of times I think to myself, that when I fall into sin and temptation, I blame a ton of it on myself. And I don't realize there are very strong forces, at least because I give them strength, but still fighting against me in these moments. So I actually think that's just such a beautiful sense of hope to be able to see that. But I was curious from your perspective, and sure, I didn't do the last letter with you, so thus I didn't read it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what happened? Like, how did this come about so suddenly? Because I, I always also like to ask on these episodes, what in our what can we learn from this? Because you essentially see this entire fight for 30 letters, and I'm presuming last letter was also just another fight. And then boom, this change. And Lewis doesn't seem to allude to like, what can we do for this change? Is it keep fighting the good fight to the best of your abilities and there'll be a moment when God just comes rushing in and as long as you fight the good fight to the best of your abilities, no matter how poorly you do it, he'll come to your rescue or, or talk around that a little bit. Well, if you think about the story that we've had thus far, it's by and large been a story of failure. Wormwood gets assigned to the patient, the patient becomes a Christian. Uh, the patient makes some worldly friends. Wormwood is happy. He's doing well. He introduces them to a larger group. But then what happens? He then gets this Christian girlfriend and gets introduced to their group. He mm. goes for a lovely walk and a cup of tea and reads a book he really enjoys, not because it's fashionable. Wormwood really actually hasn't been doing very well for quite some time. And in the previous letter, when you listened, well, I hope you listened to the episode, but if you occasionally at some point in the future accidentally read the, the letter that preceded this, um, Screwtape doesn't paint things very well. He's making the point to Wormwood that we've got to protect this patient. Our propaganda is that death is the worst thing, but at the moment he is in a good state, as we as in our, in our theology would say, a state of grace. Uh, he says, we've got to protect him. We want long life. We want uh, middle age, and we want to uh, see either adversity crush him or affluence weaken him so that he thinks he's finding his place in the world, but the world is really finding its place in him. So in the last few chapters, Screwtape has, has pointed out that things aren't good for them with regards to the patient, which is why he has to be protected. But Wormwood has failed this. He's died and he's now gone to be with God. Maybe the analogy we could use 
I actually had just used this with a friend was as the spiritual warfare is going on and a journey is happening, imagine like a person training and they have weights, you know, those people that run across the football field with weights behind them. Mm-hmm. And so the, you can actually do it decently successfully, the more disciplined you are and the more you're doing it. And then all of a sudden there's a moment when the weights are lifted off, but you've still been actually pretty successful on the journey, but maybe not as much as you would like or how much you're feeling because you do have this big weight holding you back, which would be screw tape and worm wood kind of fighting you every step of the way. And then boom, once that's taken off, you realize how strong you really are after all of that. Yeah. It's like if you ever hang out with somebody who's undergone a lot of adversity, you might think that that they're going to be weak, but they've actually been through so much. They actually usually have great strength of character because they've had to put up with a lot. And our patient has had to put up with wormwood and screw tape for 31 letters. I like it. I just love all of the rather gross imagery of dead skin falling off, a scab falling off, that he, he, he is being cleansed. And this, this ties in with Lewis's idea of purgatory. It's not the, the, the full doctrine of purgatory we would accept as Catholics, but it's really close. And he talks about it probably in most detail in Letters to Malcolm. It's actually in Letter 20. And I just wanted to read that because we'll get to see a little bit more into this moment that, we're, that Screwtape is telling us about. Lewis writes, Our souls demand purgatory, don't they? Would it not break the heart if God said to us, It is true, my son, that your breath smells and your rags drip with mud and slime, but we are charitable here and no one will upbraid you for these things, nor draw away from you. Enter into the joy. Should we not reply, With submission, sir, and if there is no objection, I'd rather be cleansed first. It may hurt, you know. Even so, sir. And we'll probably unpack the last part of that a little bit later, because Screwtape is, he alludes to a further journey that the patient is going to be going on. But I, I just think that's beautiful. I just, the, the image of letting all of the, all the gunk go, having it all washed away, having no part of Screwtape or Wormwood left in you. I also want to say, though, that scab image, well, on the surface, the first time I read it, because yes, I do read these a few times. The first time I read it, I was like, ah, this is a little gross. And I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a picker. So I know scabs well, <laughs> but I actually, re- I actually realized there's a lot of wisdom to that, that actual analogy, because think of what a scab does. You've got a wound, you've got a part of you that needs healing, renewing, restoring, right? The scab covers it from the outside. Your scab more or less is staying the same, crusty, ugly sitting there. So you don't see a lot of progress happening, but underneath that scab, there's a ton of healing happening. And then there's a point where the scab falls off and you realize the renewing that was happening. I feel like that is an incredible analogy for our lives. How often does it feel like on the surface in these tough moments, like it described in the quote of the week I did where you're dying, 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 it feels dark and it feels despair. It's like, I can't handle anymore and it looks messy, but you don't realize the healing and the renewing that's actually happening in those moments that when it's lifted, you realize what just the transformation that happened, even though you really couldn't see it through that period. I think it's a really beautiful analogy. Mm. I know I'm a boy. I just think scabs are gross and fun. <laughs> what really seems to bug Screwtape, though, is how easily he regards the patient's transition. No doctor visits or nursing home. He says just one moment it seemed to be all our world. The scream of bombs, the fall of houses, the stink and taste of high explosives on the lips and in the lungs. The feet burning with weariness, the heart cold with horrors, the brain reeling, the legs aching. Next moment, all was gone. Gone like a bad dream never again to be of any account. And what's kind of funny is that I don't think most of us would regard dying 
in an air raid of World War II an easy transition into the next life. But that's how Screwtape regards it. Yeah, no, I, I picture that as like a very painful process of you getting purged and cleansed through all these different things and dying to your will and your ego and all the things necessary for entering into heaven. And it is an insanely painful process. Well, I think I mentioned it in, yeah, I think I mentioned it in last season uh, that above one of the monasteries on Mount Athos, an Eastern Orthodox monastery, it says, die before you die so that when you die, you have already died or something to that effect. Or maybe like die before you die so when you die, you don't die. That's it. That's that's the oh my goodness. Matt correct me on the quotation. Oh, Mark your calendar. Out of left field, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Groundskeeper at Augusta, winding up, about to hit a big one. Oh, he got on that one. Okay, let's just take a take a moment. Okay, that will never happen again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Screwtape says that this transition seemed natural to the patient. He says it's almost as if he had been born for it. The earth-born vermin entered into the new life. And that's actually kind of the point. We are born for it. This is, this is the end of man. This is what we are here for, to enter heaven. And he, he actually also comments on the transformation in the patient's mind, saying that all his doubts became, in the twinkling, twinkling of an eye, ridiculous. Looking back, he can see that all of that is just crazy. He describes what Tolkien would call a eucatastrophe. The extraction hurt more and more, and then the tooth was out. The dream became a nightmare, and then you woke. You die and die, and then you are beyond death. How could I have ever have doubted it? Mm. The night is darkest before the dawn, mm -hmm. and the dawn is coming. I love that quote from The Dark Knight. And <laughs> I, I actually use it a lot in life. There's just a lot of truth to it. Now, sometimes snippy people will be like, well, the night is darkest right before the second darkest moment of the night. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, come on. <laughs> uh, Ape says that not only did the patient see Wormwood, he says he also saw them. The patient looked upon angels. And while he looked upon them, Wormwood himself reels back at their presence, and all this just offends Screwtape's sense of dignity. The idea that this thing of earth and slime could stand upright and converse with spirits before whom you, a spirit, could only cower. Which is the pride. I mean, think about it is pride that ends up leading the spirit to go from a substantial being to the most unsubstantial, insubstantial whatever the word is, of, a, of an entity, of a thing. If you can even call it a thing, there's like nothing there anymore. And so that doesn't surprise me then that there's so much pride there. Like, how can that person, even though in reality, the demon is nothing. And isn't it so true that Henry Nouwen was the first one to ever point out to me, the most prideful, arrogant people, which means they kind of come across as super put together, is actually the more pride and arrogance you have, it's more covering up a deeper insecurity which actually means that person with insane pride and arrogance actually has the least amount of self-worth, typically. They, they're trying to mask that. I was like, there's so much truth to that. And that's, that's playing out right here. And they're also most irritated at other prideful people because pride is essentially competitive. Mm -hmm. The darkness did not like the light. <laughs> that doesn't actually make sense there, but listeners, you kind of like that still. <laughs> I'm Batman. 
<laughs> I, that is one of my top five movies of all time. I agree. I think it's for my top five. And it's at least top ten. Anyway, I'll take it. Even while the patient didn't know what the angels looked like, and he apparently even doubted their existence at times, upon seeing them, he immediately recognizes the part they played in his life, saying, so it was you all the time. That's just an incredible thought at some point to meet my guardian angel, the (laughs) spiritual being that was given by God to me for my spiritual care, and to be able to look back in my life and see where that angel played a role. And more than that, what I think is so beautiful about this moment and why this this hit me is because I, I think of the movie, have you guys if you guys haven't seen the TV show The Chosen, please do go see it. It is it's incredible. Even uh, one of the staff writers at the Word on Fire Institute wrote about it. You know, there's some fiction thrown throughout it, but it no doubt does exactly what's meant to do and shows such beauty and tenderness and love of the disciples and being chosen. Well, there's a scene when Philip, I think it's Philip, is under the tree and his life and his identity is rocked and he's screaming to God and he's saying, do you see me in this moment? And then it's later, which this is the part we do see in scripture where Jesus goes up to Philip and said, when you're under that fig tree, I see you. And what I love about this is when, when you get into a moment, what I picture is essentially all these moments we felt alone, like in our dark moments when we felt like we were either disappointing Jesus and or he wasn't with us or we didn't feel his presence or like that two, the footprints on the sand uh, poem goes where we only see one foot tracks on the sand and we think, Jesus, you left me during the darkest moments. And he says, in those moments, I was carrying you. It's like, that's what's happening in this moment. And I, I get so jacked and excited to hear that. I can't wait to look back and be like, man, all of those moments, you did this sign to pull me out of it. You did this. You put this comment, this sentence, this book, this movie, this thought, whatever it would be, he put there. I don't think we give enough credit to how not alone we are. And that's the moment we'll see it. And we'll realize, one, how truly not alone we were and two how truly loved we were the entire time and that's what happens to the patient he's reminded of faint memories uh, Screwtape describes it as the dim consciousness of friends about him which had haunted his solitudes from infancy was now at last explained the central music in every pure experience which had always just evaded memory was now at last recovered and Screwtape says that all of this all of these things took place even before the limbs of the patient's corpse came to rest. And as an aside, I think it's Nathaniel was under the fig tree, but Philip called him. Oh, I was so close. So close. So close. Dang. But balance has now been restored. <laughs> <laughs> I had to mean revert. That was an outlier earlier. <laughs> so the patient meets angels, but he doesn't just encounter angels. Screwtape says he saw not only them, He saw him. The patient beholds not only angels, but God. And once again, Screwtape's sense of dignity is just rocked. This animal, this thing begotten in a bed could look on him. What is blinding, suffocating fire to you is now cool light to him. Is clarity itself and wears the form of a man. I need to watch The Chosen again. And when you watch it this time in season one, so the one I just told you is in season two. In season one, Andrew, no, Simon Peter, 
got this one right. He's coming out of the boat, meets Jesus. He realizes this is the Messiah after being very obstinate. And what does he do? Falls on his knees. And so as I was reading this, I was picturing that scene and I was thinking to myself, I hope I just fall on my knee. One would, would really like to think that the patient's falling at Jesus' feet and the recognition of his own sinfulness, his own shortcomings, would be something horrible. But once again, he's disappointed because it's not. Screwtape says that it's nothing like uh, Wormwood's paralyzing, choking sensations that he encounters when he encounters the deadly air that breathes from the heart of heaven. It's something entirely different. It's humility, which is why Screwtape doesn't understand it. And once again here, we encounter the aroma, which Screwtape has mentioned throughout this book. And now he fully articulates its source. This aroma comes from God himself. And when we've mentioned this aroma before, that seems to completely disable Screwtape and Wormwood from, from functioning or messing with the patient, uh, we've had listeners B.B. Smith and Laurie Morrison point us to 2 Corinthians, where St. Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumph, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So this this aroma that uh, debilitates wormwood, it comes from God, and it, it filled the house where the girlfriend's family gathered. Screwtape ends by saying that Wormwood now has nothing with which to tempt the patient. All those good things of Earth just now don't compare with what the patient is experiencing. And I tried to cut this next bit down, but I just have to read it verbatim. All the delights of sense or heart or intellect with which you could once have tempted him, even the delights of virtue itself, now seem to him in comparison, but as the half-nauseous attractions of a rattled harlot would seem to a man who hears that his true beloved, whom he has loved all his life, and whom he had believed to be dead, is alive, and even now at the door. Basically, <laughs> Wormwood has no hold, no, no foothold on him anymore, at all. I was very close to choosing that as the quote of the week, all the delights of senses of our heart or intellect, with which once you could have tempted him, even the delights of virtue self now seem in him in comparison, but as the half-nauseous attractions of a rattled harlot. That's an incredible statement there. And all of these things of earth were good, mm -hmm. but they still don't compare. Mm -hmm. And Screwtape is just bewildered at the economy of heaven. He just doesn't understand grace or what's going on. If only we could find out what God is really up to. Uh, sometimes I almost despair. All that sustains me is the conviction that our realism, our rejection of all that silly nonsense and claptrap, must win in the end. I love how he blames it on a failure of the uh, intelligence department. <laughs> it's the Ministry of Intelligence. <laughs> Honestly, I would love to quote The Last Battle here, but since you haven't read it yet, I'll just encourage listeners just to read the final few pages of that book David. every time that you finish reading The Screwtape Letters. Because you can quote the, the last same battle. scene is described. You can quote the last battle. I listened to Andrew's speech at Notre Dame where he gave away like half of the last battle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll actually be going out on our feed probably shortly after this. So listeners will be able to listen as well. 
Well, this is a quick plug for that too. It's phenomenal. Please do listen to it. I was moved by the end of that. Andrew did an incredible job, inspired me. So you guys are in for a treat. Well, let's wrap up this letter. And it just ends with a threat. Meanwhile, I have you to settle with. Most truly do I sign myself, your increasingly and ravenously affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Jeesh. <laughs> what a finish. Exit stage right. We'll have a little bit more time to unpack all of this when we do the retrospective. But did you have anything for unscrewing screw tape? Yeah, two. I don't want to force too many here. Okay. The first one, because of my quote of the week and the dying and dying until you've gone through it, uh, do maintain hope when you're in the struggle. Just recognize that you're being cleansed, purged of your false self, your ego, and you will get through this. The do not was right here at the end. Don't substitute lesser goods for the ultimate good. That's really nice. I like both of those. I did think about doing some do's and don'ts, but in the end, I just thought I'd read the final few sentences of Mere Christianity, since Lewis's exhortation at the end of that book is really the best advice that I could offer. And it sums up so much of the unscrewing screw tape that we've given over the course of this season. In mere Christianity, Lewis ends the book with, Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be truly yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. Screw tip, anyone? But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. That was the end of my talk at Notre Dame. And the last thing I ended it with is one of the most beautiful lines. Completely agree. I don't want to taint it with commentary. <laughs> well, in that case, we will just thank all of our Patreon supporters and listeners and particularly our top-tier Patreon supporters, Kimberly, Brian, Kay, Monique, Paul, Gillis, Jake, Stephen, Matt, Jeff, Chris, John, James, Kate, and Rowdy. <laughs> this is getting longer. Thank you, guys. <laughs> it is. And when we do the retrospective, we will tell you how you can get hold of the new Pints with Jack coffee mugs. Guys, this is a sad moment. This is the last you'll hear us talk directly about a letter. We've got a little bit more coming. We're going to be, we'll, we'll do a little retrospective, which is going to be fun. It's going to be all three of us together. We haven't had that in a while. And we're going to be reading The Screwtape Proposes a Toast. That's going to be next month too. So look forward to that. And we'll still be posting some interviews in the meantime. So we've got a lot of good stuff coming over the next couple months. And then, drum roll. Before that, we have Narnia. Oh, well, <laughs> I've already skipped Narnia in my head. <laughs> No, I am looking for the next book. What is the next book? The next book is going to be The Silver Chair. Oh, I've heard you talk pretty positively about that, right? It's a really good one. It's, it's always very high in people's list of favorite Narnia books. Good. I'm looking forward to that. But since I interrupted you as you were saying it, let's just confirm with the people what our book next season is going to be. The Four Loves. Not to be confused with the Five Love Languages. <laughs> Which is apparently easily done by some people. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, everyone... 
please join us next time when we're going to be going further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers. Mine doesn't cheers. <laughs>